Well, I'm excited to be here this morning, <clears throat> be able to share with you, brethren, to uh, share in the words that are eternal. <clears throat> you know, Jesus did say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and he said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. I was in uh, South Korea, and uh, having a get-together with a guy that... Uh, and somebody had met on an airplane in Grand Rapids, Michigan. God has amazing ways of putting things together. And I was excited to be able to sit down and share the scripture with him. But we, <clears throat> we spent some time instead going through a museum. Half the museum was devoted to Buddhism, and the other half of the museum was devoted to those who studied Confucius. And uh, so we got back... And uh, he had the whiteboard all set up and everything. And I said, well, <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I said, so that means that all we just looked at is, is worthless in the spiritual realm. He said, yes, I know. He said, this is my country's heritage. And he said, I show you this so you understand how difficult it is for people to stand for Jesus Christ. But it, it's, it's a true statement that uh, nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So, as we share together this day, we can go ahead and, and put the uh, first slide up there. Um, to me, it's a, a real honor to be able to share in your uh, system where you talk about reforming the mind, the reformation of the mind. Because uh, that's really where it's at. So, the next slide then. See, Jesus himself drew that boundary when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, he sets boundaries, uh, and, he, and he holds to those boundaries. Uh, Jesus said that uh, his word uh, could not be broken. So I wanted to talk about image. <clears throat> um, when God said in Genesis 1.26, he said, let's make man in our image According to our likeness, God made man a spirit being. Now, animals have body and soul. If you sometime look at Leviticus 17, you'll see that the soul of the animal is in the blood. And that's why God allowed a temporary uh, offering, the animal's blood, in exchange for the human soul. Now, you recognize that uh, you can't ever substitute the, the lesser for the greater, but served as temporary. But what it does is it lets us know that animals have souls, and that's why when the animal dies, the soul leaves. And it tells us something about the nature of the soul, you know, that there's a, that, that animals see, animals feel, animals hear, and they think to a certain level. But when God made man, God made man body, soul, and spirit. The Bible says God is spirit, and when God made man in his image, God made man a spirit being. Um, animals, for example, don't have morality. If Mr. Wolf and I are going hunting, and uh, Mr. Wolf uh, kills me and eats me, Mr. Wolf didn't do anything wrong. <clears throat> but if I go hunting with Ben, and he kills me and eats me, you know, then there's, you know, I mean, good eating, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a moral issue. See, man... That the spirit of man is where there's moral issues. See, animals don't have that. <clears throat> animals don't have uh, creative capacity. 
You know, I'm always amazed that uh, carpenters, for example, they can see what a finished kitchen is going to look like in their mind before they ever hammer a nail and get done. Uh, a lot of you ladies, you know, that cook or decorate, you see how that living room's going to look uh, before you sew a stitch or buy any, any cloth. See, it, it, that's that creative capacity that man has. Uh, muskrats, you know, build their huts, but there's no design. Uh, <coughs> beavers build their dams, but there's no design. But when man builds something, he has that capacity to design, to see things in his head, and then to, to bring it into existence. See, that's part of man that's in the image of God. <clears throat> man also has capacity for grammatical language. You know, we don't think about it because we use it all the time. It, but it's totally amazing when you think about the, the little guys, you know, just come into this world just trying to learn everything. And for them to pick up language, you know, you can tell your, your dog, sit. I said, sit, you know, sit, right? You know, I mean, but that's, that's, that's about all the conversation. I mean, dogs look like they're interested in every word you say, you know? And I don't mean to offend anybody's dog, but uh, they're, they're not people, you know. They're, they really aren't. And, and they, don't, they don't have that capacity for grammatical language. That's, that is a tremendous gift from God to, to actually, again, to think of what a sentence is going to be before it gets started out of your mouth. Uh, grammatical language is a huge difference between man and animals. So when God made man, he, he made man in his image. The, the trouble was that before very long, the image got uh, switched. So the inner man then is in, in God's image. You know, the treasure, Jesus would call it. Uh, even though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. This is the language of the scripture. Next slide. So <clears throat> Jesus, in a discussion with the Jews, a lot of Jesus' discussions with the the Jews is hot, okay? The, when, when the Gospel, John, uses the word Jews, it's talking about the Jewish hierarchy. That's talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And then the multitudes of the crowds are the common people. So he's always talking with these Jews, right? And he had to tell these guys, he said, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. See, what was in the image of God got twisted to now what should have been in the image of God is now Satan's son, Satan's children. See, those, those are harsh words if you think about it, but you can just, just, just see Jesus standing there. You are of your father, the devil. You know, God wants us to be sons of the, our father, right? Well, he talked several times, he mentions that. But you can see how that image got twisted. And so the result is, is that man, the inner man is blackened. It's dark. See, the book of Ephesians talks about how you were dark, darkness. See, and, and so we have to process that objective. We have to process it from, from God's perspective, which is the only objective perspective there is. You know, I, I try to be honest about myself or with myself, but... I, I need a little outside help sometimes, okay? And that's where the scripture comes in. Next slide. So, if image and performance are tied together, see, if I, if I view myself as a failure, I'll fail. 
And you see that all the time. You know, when we're working with kids, you know, the small babies, you know, we're always very excited. Uh, you know, the first time they can bring the, you know, the spoon with uh, food in it, you know, up to their mouth and not spill anything too much. It's, it's applause, it's cheers, you know. Because there's a recognition when we're working with the little guys that we're working with their image, working with their picture of who they are. See, and we want, we're conscious that that picture needs to be a successful picture. But it seems like when kids get a little bit older and a little bit more challenging to deal with, lose that. You know, there were some people I had Bible studies with, and, and they had a son named Trenton. Trenton was about 11 years old at the time. 11 is kind of a tough time for anybody anyway. And, but I could hear him. I'd be come up to the house, it'd be, uh, you know, maybe midsummer, and I'd hear, Trenton, you dumb kid, can't you do anything right? Trenton, you know, I don't know why God even put you on this earth, right? Well, what sort of picture do you think Trenton had of himself? He was, he was in our Christian school, and he was working uh, in, his, in one of his work booklets, and I kind of came around the corner, I was his teacher, and he actually had his pencil stuck in his ear, you know, with the eraser uh, on the inside, and he was twirling that pencil, and he said, Trenton, you're a dummy, Trenton, you're a dummy, Trenton, you're a dummy. And we see that happen all the time, don't we? And uh, there's a lot of forces in this world coming from Satan himself to try to destroy people's images or people's picture. You take uh, evolution. I used to believe in evolution. Evolution is not science. Evolution is a religious system cloaked in scientific language. That's what it is. And I used to believe in evolution. But if I think, you know, in other words, evolution, everything's random. You know, there's, there's no, no order, no, no directive force. It's, it's uh, all random is the idea. Now, if I think... I'm the last accident on a long chain of accidents. How valuable do, you, do I think I am? See, and so at some point, if I go hang myself from the rafters of the local gym, you know, what does it matter? I, I didn't have any value anyway. Who, who would be putting that type of information inside people's heads? See, who would be driving them to the bottom as fast as they can go? See, and, and so Satan is attacking the image of God. That's why when God instituted capital punishment after the flood, he said, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made man. See, God is, is trying to elevate. Satan is trying to destroy. So it's a tremendous battle here. So if I view myself as a failure, I fail. But if that can be switched... See, to where I view myself as a success, just even in earthly terms here a little bit, I'll succeed. See, you, you know people that, you know, always saw themselves as a failure, and they finally get a job, and it looks like things are going good, and they do something to get themselves fired, so now they're kicking themselves halfway across town and back. Uh, you know, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there. On the other hand, there's some people that seems like life's got them down. They, they finally get down, they're getting kicked in the teeth, and everybody's saying, well, they're finally going to get it. But see, somehow they pull it out. Somehow they, they rise to the top. 
just, just even in, in earthly terms here. See, why? They have the picture that they succeed. See, and that, that picture, picture is tremendously powerful. So what we got to do is understand then that there's change in performance. It's got to begin with the change in the picture. So we're talking about the reformation of the mind. The, the place to begin that reformation is the picture of who, my, who I am. Who I am. It's, it's no surprise that God's name for himself is I am who I am. I am. See, when we become Christians, in the process of becoming Christians, we make the good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. See, we're confessing who he is. See, it always goes back to this, this core principle of image or picture. Next slide. So the first recognition I have to make is that my image of myself was made in error. You know, the, uh, the way maybe my father treated me, uh, one of my bad teachers worked me over, uh, the, the, the bully on the bus, you know, I mean, all, all these things impact uh, who we are. And, of course, the, the trouble is, is we, we, we don't know enough growing up to get our value from any place other than the people and the circumstances around us. So the way the scripture puts it is all have sinned and fell short. Fell short of what? Well, fell short of the glory of God. See, that's, that's the ultimate picture is the glory of God. And what sin does is it causes us to fall short of that. And the result is we end up being sinners. Now, now what do sinners do? Well, they... Uh, Sin. <laughs> you know, that's, so the, the image ha, it has to change. If I still think of myself as a sinner, you know, I, I worked a lot with uh, AA people, and again, maybe some of you have had that experience. I remember one of the ladies I was working with and taught her the gospel and immersed her into Christ. And, and uh, so she was going into the AA meeting. She says, I'm, I'm Pat, and, and I'm an alcoholic. I said, well, Pat, as, as long as you keep saying you're an alcoholic, all you are is a drunk between drinks. That's all you are. You know, a junkie between fixes or whatever. I said, so <clears throat> next time I want you to walk into the meeting and say, hi, I'm Pat, and I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. <laughs> they got really mad at her. <laughs> they said, you can't do that. You can't say that. You're in denial. <clears throat> See? Well, Look at if I keep thinking that I'm an alcoholic and I keep saying I'm an alcoholic, I'm driving the picture of who I am. See, and so God really wants that picture to change as to, as to who we are. So our picture was made in error. All right, you know, we got that foundational piece in place. So what's God going to do? Next slide. What should we say then? We're, I'm working out of Romans chapter 6 here, if you want to turn your Bibles, if you haven't. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, and verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? <clears throat> Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Well, generally the answer comes, well, may it ever be. But actually the answer is, may it never be. And what's going to follow here is a discussion of how God's going to work in our lives to change that picture. 
to change that image as to who we are. He asks another question, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, well, so we're getting an impression here that somehow we died to the sin and we died to being a sinner. So he adds then, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Words have meaning. We, we live in a, an increasingly what's called postmodern era. Um, modern era is based on Christ, you know, A.D., you know, B.C., okay? Now, postmodern thought is a system of thought, uh, okay? Enter your Oregon universities are all postmodern thought. You know, postmodern anticipates the end of things being based on Christ, anticipates the coming of, of a new age, and post, part of postmodern thought is something called deconstruction. Now, be, deconstruction is a big word that means that words don't mean anything. Okay. But in other words, there's a tremendous attack on language and tremendous attack on documents of authority. I'll just give you an example in the, in the physical realm. I was uh, listening to Bloomberg Radio one night on my satellite and they were interviewing uh, Judge Richard Posner. Now, Judge Richard Posner is on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago and uh, regarded as today's preeminent jurist, okay? And he had just written a book entitled How Judges Think, and so the Bloomberg Radio was kind of a puff piece on that. But in, in that interview, he said this, it is not possible to determine what the Founding Fathers meant when they wrote the Constitution. Think of that. It's not possible to determine what the Founding Fathers meant when they wrote the Constitution. Now, that's a prime example of postmodern thought and deconstruction. See, in other words, words don't have enough meaning to know what is being said. If you think about that, that's a tremendous attack on God because how has God chosen to communicate? He's chosen to communicate through the written word. You can't, you got feelings, you have things that happen in your lives, you know, you sometimes sense that God's giving you direction, but the only thing you got solid is what is written. Now, if you attack the, the written word, in other words, the same process that would attack the authority of the Constitution is the same process that attacks the authority of the word of God. And what happens then, see, people are, are driven into a position that the only thing they think they can know for sure is what they experience. Okay? And the result is, what happens many times is, you know, if you come to a, a congregation or something, they're going to try to give you an experience where you felt like you were close to God. The trouble is, feeling close to God doesn't mean you're close to God at all. See, it's not objective. So, so see, postmodern thought and these things attack in every direction. And part of them is, is to destroy the meanings of words. Now you take the word baptism, you know, the Greek word is, I'm sure you're aware, is baptizo, and it means to immerse. Okay? And there's a really perfectly good wo word for sprinkling, it's uh, rantizo, and uh, it's always translated sprinkling uh, in, in the New Testament. You know, there's a lot of pressure to try to say that baptism isn't immersion, but it is. In fact, you know, the context here in Romans chapter 6 
it will tell you. So, so the very simple, basic question is, how do you get into Christ? You know, I, I, I came through a door here somewhere. <laughs> you know, so, you know, got a, got a brief tour of the building yesterday with Ben. Pretty, pretty great facilities you guys got here. And so I came through a door. Okay, I'm not sure which one. Okay. So I think it was over there somewhere. But, uh, okay, I, I'm in here because I came into into it's pretty pretty basic language and so how do you get into christ see it's very simple it's right there it, it's immersed into christ okay and uh so, you know the devil doesn't like that the devil doesn't like straightforward scriptures the devil's you know the bible kind of subtly calls the devil the god of confusion how's he doing messes up terms messes up meanings so <clears throat> what happened then when we were immersed into, into Christ, well, we're immersed into his death. Okay, next slide. So we then have been buried with him through immersion into death. Okay, so one of the first thrusts of, of immersion is going to be the death of that old self. See, that, that image was, was made in error, wasn't it? So God isn't going to spend a lot of time tweaking it, you know, like trying to, you know, fiddle with a few knobs and you know, mess with a few buttons. God's just going to take it out back and bury it. See, that's, that's how you get rid of the old self. You just take it out back and bury it. Simple, right? Now, does God know what he's doing? Or does he not know what he's doing? Well, I mean, who knows more, him or us? You know, kind of reminds me of a T-shirt I saw one time. On the front of it said, there's two things I know. Okay. On the back of it, number one, there is a God. Number two, you're not him. Okay. <laughs> so so we're, we're really looking to God for answers, aren't we? You know, there's a lot of psychology books written. There's a lot of uh, things. But really, the source has got to be the Scripture itself. Because God made us, He knows what went wrong, and He knows how to fix us. So if we try to run an alternative fix, it's not going to work. So He's going to emphasize in immersion the death of the old self. See, we have been united with him in the likeness of his death. Okay? Uh, knowing this, our old self is crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so we no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. As a person's growing up and they hit the point where they're old enough to know better, at some point with their eyes wide open, they do what they know is good and well wrong. They know it. <clears throat> you know, when kids are little and you get on their cases, uh, you know, and, and you have to maybe paddle them or something like that, you know, 10 minutes later, you know, bouncing around, you know, no problem, right? <clears throat> but you take some 17-year-old girl, <clears throat> windows open, Midnight, pickup, lights off, rolling down the street. She crawls out the window, climbs in the pickup, goes off to the, to the party, gets drunk, and bad things happen. And about 6 a.m., the pickup rolls by again, and she crawls back through the window like she hasn't been anywhere. That doesn't go away, does it? There's no bouncing around happy person, right? <clears throat> because that person sinned, 
their eyes wide open, and they got separated from God. You know, that goes back, as you know, to, to Adam. God told Adam, he says, the day you eat that fruit, buddy, that you're not supposed to eat, the day you eat that fruit, that day you die. Well, Adam ate, but he lived 930 years. See, the day that he died was he died spiritually. See, he was separated from God. And you see then sin raging through the human race. You know, it's not very long. And Cain and Abel come to offer sacrifices. And, of course, Cain is torqued over the fact that Goody Two-Shoes brother offered the right sacrifice and God wouldn't accept his. Right? God told Cain, he says, look, sin's crouching at your door. He says, you've got to master it. See, go, no, notice who God's holding responsible here. Every individual is responsible for their attitudes, action. <clears throat> you must master it. Well, Cain didn't master it. He killed his brother, right? That's a solution. Right from the beginning, who got killed, the righteous or the unrighteous? Okay. <laughs> you know, that's the first family. That's the first family. You imagine Adam and Eve having to clean up the mess. That wasn't just Adam and, and Eve and Cain and Abel. That was their son that got butchered by the older brother. A violent and bloody race. See, driven by sin, destroyed. <clears throat> See, as, as the Satan destroyed the, the image inside and twisted it and turned it in his direction, so what's the solution? Crucify it. Crucify it. See, it's a great picture that God's given us here for victory. See, so uh, a crucifixion is a violent and bloody way to die. When I was in the Philippines. I heard about some guys that uh, every year during a, quote, Holy Week that... Uh, they got crucified. See, and I was kind of interested in following that up. You know, because, man, that's, I mean, whew. <laughs> Think about the spikes going through the, the wrist area and the, going through the ankle area and hanging up there. And uh, so I investigated the uh, best I could, and turns out in a province called Papanga, that's uh, where these take place, but they cheat, okay? They just have their wrists tied and they have their ankles tied. That is not a crucifixion, okay? <laughs> that's, that's being tied to a cross. That's, but that's not crucifixion. See, that old self crucified in a violent and bloody operation because that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Next slide. Now, <clears throat> the burial of the old self is less, less than half the message. See, the most important half is that the new self is raised up out of the water. The outer shell looks the same. I mean, the outer shell is dry and then it's wet. Okay, that's... But that inner man, see, that's where God does his work. In the inner man, you can't see. Okay? And so a new self has, has come up out of that water. The way Scripture says it, that uh, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
walk in newness of life. Any of you guys ever did a remodel project? You know, maybe you're reworking the kitchen or something like that. Um, you might take a before and after picture, but you don't really care what it looked like before. What you're interested in is what the new kitchen's going to look like. You know, that's, that's a remodel. And so the remodel of the brain, say, is the same way, the remodel of the image. So <clears throat> the old self is gone. The focus is going to be on the new self. See, the new one coming up out of the water. Again, this is where God's beginning. This is the beginning point, isn't it? This is the beginning point. Certainly, he said, we'll be in the likeness in this, of his resurrection. If we've been united with him in the likeness of his certainly coming forth in the likeness of his resurrection. I did a funeral one time for kind of a sad situation. A little boy was born, and you know there were just heart issues right from the beginning. And... Uh, so did the funeral at the, at the church building and then went to the grave side. And they had the little casket there, you know, in the kind of the green carpet, just uh, where the grave was going to be. And uh, I got to thinking. So I kind of looked around at the audience and decided to try to teach a little bit. The, uh, you know, Bible says in season and out of season, Right. So I'm, sometimes I'm kind of an out-of-season guy. <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. Uh, but I got to thinking. I said, and the funeral directors there, you know how the funeral directors are. They're, you know, they've been through this a lot, and so they're there. And uh, I said, you know, see this little casket over here? I said, uh, when we walk away, is uh, the funeral guy, is he going to come over and just throw a little gravel on it and, and, and walk away and leave it? Of course, Mr. Funeral Director, he, he, he popped right op, open there. And, of course, the audience is saying no. I said, well, is, is, are they going to come over and are they going to dump a bucket of dirt on it and walk away? Well, no. I said, well, if, if you're going to think of terms of baptism as sprinkling, that's just like throwing some scra- gravel on that. If you think of, of baptism as pouring water like the Mennonites and the Amish and the Anabaptists do, then that's like just dumping that bucket of gravel on it. But if, if you think of it the way the Bible does, what are we going to do with that casket? They're going to lower it down, cover it over, aren't they? So if you would be baptized the Bible way, you're going to be completely buried. But it didn't stop there. When they lowered that casket in the ground, that casket's there until Jesus' second coming. But he, out of immersion comes and resurrects itself. It's the likeness of the Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, isn't it? See, God's using you know, physical things to communicate spiritual truths because he has a pretty good idea how thick the skull is that he's dealing, right? I mean... There's assorted layers of bone and other insulation in there. And uh, God, God has to do things to penetrate. So, certainly in the likeness of his resurrection, he says, now, the key, really key verses here is verses 8 through 11. Well, I was taught the gospel in 1971. I was uh, an atheist. Um, 
circumstances happened in my life that got me a little bit interested in Scripture. And my next-door neighbor said, hey, I got these uh, film strips that you need to take a look at, the patriarchal age and mosaic age, and, and uh, you know, one was called God's Plan for Redeeming Man. And uh, so he said, come on over. So we went over to his house, and he was busy gluing a, gluing a gun barrel, right? So he says, now, when it goes beep, you turn it, okay? So we showed ourselves those, those film strips, all five of them. And uh, he said, okay, good. <laughs> okay. And uh, we got immersed that, that Lord's Day. But uh, those film strips put an emphasis on the death of the old self. That's true. There is an emphasis. See, but it's not the emphasis. See, the, the emphasis is the new self. See, that's coming up out of that water. And so he says there in verse 8, uh, uh, verse, going on in verse 9, he said, If we have died with Christ, we also believe that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Death no longer is master over him. When Jesus raised from the dead, he essentially smashed the serpent's head in, didn't he? The way the scripture talks about it, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, who through fear of death kept people in slavery all their lives. Some of the favorite words of mine in the scripture is the book of Revelation where Jesus is standing there in the presence of the apostle John in the vision. He says, I am dead. I as he who's dead and I am alive. I am he who is dead and I am alive forevermore. And I got the keys of death and Hades. It's got him right here. He said, I dived to the bottom, got the keys, and I arranged the jailbreak. Arranged the jailbreak. See, but that translates to us into being free from fear of death, free from the power of Satan. Next slide. I want you to notice these words. It says, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Jesus, in his resurrected-slash-glorified state, is described as dead to sin, but alive to God. Now, the next verse is for us. Therefore, even so, consider yourselves to be what? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, we are, if you want to use this terminology, commanded. We're, we're commanded to picture ourselves as Jesus is in his glorified state. That's a jump, isn't it? Well, the scripture does say that we've been raised up with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, right? Ephesians 2.6. What's Christ sitting on? Throne? Who's sitting with him? We are. We are. Yeah. Hmm. You sure about that? <laughs> well, I'm sure the scripture's right. That's one thing. <clears throat> but see, in the realm of faith, the only thing we know about the realm of faith is what's been revealed to us in the scripture. We have no we have no access except to the scripture to the realm of faith that we can say for certain that this is it. No access. So really, faith 
is when we believe what the Scripture tells us to believe about the realm that we can't see. And didn't the Apostle Paul talk about even though our outer man is decaying, our inner man's being renewed day by day by day? And so we're going to walk, what? Not looking at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen, right? The things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal. So where should we focus our attention? See, So God's really working. God's really working on us. He's trying to help us to process the, the, tr- the truth of the spiritual realm. God does a lot of work to establish the truthfulness of the Scriptures. I mean, it's awesome. Moses stretching forth his rod over the Red Sea, and it parts. And I'm supposed to believe that, right? Well, God goes to a lot of work, so I can believe that Moses parted the Red Sea. I, I'm supposed to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Yeah. I'm supposed to believe that God seated Jesus in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but the age to come. I'm supposed to believe that? And I'm supposed to believe that I've been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly places? I'm supposed to believe that? Yeah. See, it's one thing to say, well, yeah, I believe What's interesting to me is when Paul describes Abraham, he said Abraham believed God. Abraham believed, just didn't believe in God, Abraham believed God. See, that's where he's going with us. Next slide. So God reinforces the, uh, the faith picture. I just selected a couple here. Uh, saints, uh, beloved, holy, children of God, lights in the world. That's us, right? That's who we are. Now, if I'm a light of the world, why would I be walking in darkness? I wouldn't even even consider it. You didn't have to. It's it's who I am. All these positive things are an overflow of who I am. Next slide. So, to me, this is interesting Again, when Jesus is in one of these arguments with the Jews, he said, you're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. Okay? And it's true. I mean, you know, as Jesus approached his death, Scripture says, knowing that he'd come from heaven to earth and knowing that he was to depart again, uh, then he started uh, working with the apostles there in John 13. Jesus knew where he came from. And he knew where he's going back to. Now, John the Baptist, I always call him John the Immerser, to make it clear. John the Immerser said that he was of this world. He talked about Jesus. He said, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. But see, John never had the opportunity to be born again. John never had the opportunity to be immersed into Christ, for obvious reasons. John, the best he could be was a human being, period. Okay, but he says the, the literal translation of John three three. Check it out. Is truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is born again. It's a second birth, but it's literally born from above. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, "I'm from above. 
You guys are from below. I'm from above. But how about us that have been immersed into Christ? Born from above. Awesome. Awesome. Now, see, again, if I picture myself as that way, how am I going to walk? Why would I sink down to the level of earth if I've been born from above? It's a humble sort of thing. It's, you know, you've got, you got to be humble to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus was so confident in who he was, he could associate with the tax gatherers and sinners and knew it didn't impact who he was. He didn't have to stick his nose in the ear and say, I'm not like this tax gatherer over here. He knew who he was. See, and that's where he's going with us. So we are so confident in who we are in Christ Jesus that we can do any task in front of us knowing that that does not impact who we are. Tremendous plan of God. Next slide. So the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, see that in again? If anybody is in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, you know, you guys from Oregon use a lot of the same terminology as Montana folks do. So, you know, when we get back in the East Coast, things change a bit. But, uh, you know, you've got dog critters, right? Cat critters. Right? And we've got human critters. And we've got new critters. Now, the new critter is just as different from the human critter as the human critter is from the dog and the cat critter. Bible says that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. God performed an entirely new creative act on the inside. See, when Paul chewed on the guys at Corinth, he said, the problem is you guys are acting like mere men. See, the new creature, the new creature, something more than just the human. Tremendous picture. Tremendous, and backed not by just a picture, but backed by the power of God. It isn't just words. It isn't just words. The old things have passed away. That happened when we just took the old critter out in the back and buried him. See, but the exciting thing is new things, new things, new things have come. So if I'm going to be excited, I'm going to be focusing on the new things, aren't I? Why would I let my mind drift back into any of the past stuff? You know, having my mind in the gutter didn't work the first time. Why would I drag it, drag it back through the gutter the second time? Not a good plan. So, so God says, focus on the new things. Next slide. <clears throat> The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Freedom. Freedom. Um, Holly's ancestors came over on the Oregon Trail in 1853. How many of you got ancestors came on the Oregon Trail? Yeah, some of you do. Uh, quite a trip, right? If you start in Independence, Missouri and you end up in Oregon City, it's almost 2,000 miles, 
and the Oregon Trail averaged one grave every 80 yards. Averaged one grave every 80 yards. Those are those were tough people. Those were tough people. You know, they walk, you know when they walked? They're barefoot. You know why they're barefoot? Because their shoes wore out. Yeah, they have to walk barefoot. Sometimes moderns have to process a few things, right? What, what, what's the story of America? The story of America is liberty in the political sense, right? To be responsible. <clears throat> Davy Crockett went bankrupt twice, lost, his, lost all his goods in the Tennessee River, capsized. Okay? Was he looking for a handout? No. See, liberty and responsibility go together. Liberty in Christ and responsibility in Christ go together, right? Not a surprise. Freedom. Freedom in Christ to create, to try to operate inside the the guidelines that he's laid out for his goals, his purposes, his principles. But freedom. Awesome. And then he says this, We all then, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just from the Lord the Spirit. Deep. Basically, it goes back to the time that Moses is up on the mountain the second time. Remember the first time he came down, saw worshiping the golden calf, busted the Ten Commandments, you know, ground the, the image into powder, poured it into the camp's water supply, and the, made the people drink, all right? Back up on the mountain. God being God said, Moses, uh, you busted the first set, uh, so you carve the second. He said, I'll write the letters, but you carve them, all right? But he said, Moses, you're a pretty good guy, so ask for something. Moses said, I would like to see your glory. I would like to see your glory. God says, can't do that. He said, no man can see my glory and live. For the simple reasons that when the glory of God appears, the entire material universe vaporizes, right? But he said, what I'll do is I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cause my poor glory to pass by. And he said, you'll, you'll be able to see the trailing edge of my glory. Well, that happens. Moses' face shines, right? Now, how much human effort could Moses do to cause his face to shine? See, I just picture Moses come down off the mountain, children of Israel said, hey, boys, did you see what I did to my face? <laughs> no human effort could make your face shine. What God's doing here, he's using that principle in the physical realm to show us that when we in the inner man behold the glory of God as revealed in Scripture, we are changed into the likeness of that same glory. Remember, sin is falling short of the glory. See, so we're transformed into the likeness of that same glory. Essentially, what God has done, he's put a nuclear power source on the inside here, just strumming, bumping with power, just waiting for the outer man to learn how to flip the levers so that that power kicks in and begins to work. Image. This is who I am. 
Not because of my power. I mean, if Moses couldn't say it, you know, I can just, hey, did you see what I did to him, my inner man? There's no human effort that can alter the inner man. It takes the power of God to change the inner man. But that's where God's going because it's going to flow from the inner man into the outer man and that all the changes and the transformation is going to take place. Next slide. What comes down to is a belief in the Scripture. I just want to reemphasize the only things we know see, about the realm that we can't see is what's revealed in the Scriptures. So let's believe what the Bible says about our new images in Christ, and let's move forward and upward in the faith. God bless.